And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Go, man. Tear it off, dude. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. Well, for the first time since 1998, the 49ers and the Cowboys have qualified for the playoffs in the same season. And isn't it fitting that... During the week that sees the 40th anniversary of the catch, Dwight Clark against Dallas, it'll be the 49ers and the Cowboys actually playing in the playoffs. So the stars have aligned this season for us to see the great rivalry. Uh, You know, for for me, I grew up in the 1990s, so it was 49ers-Cowboys. It was Dennis playing those games. I was watching Dennis back in the 90s against Dallas. Uh, For others, it was all about the 1980s or the early 1980s when the 49ers won their first Super Bowl championship and had to vanquish Dallas on the way to do it. We can talk all about how important that win was for the Bay Area and for the city of San Francisco on a level that was greater than football. And I know a lot of people, a lot of 49ers fans hate Dallas because of what the Cowboys did to the 49ers in the early 70s. Knocked them out in two straight seasons, including the Roger Staubach game, where the Cowboys came from behind late to beat the 49ers 30-28 to at Candlestick. So this has really been you know, an epic rivalry through the decades. And now, after, what, a 25-year hiatus or so, uh, it, it's set to be renewed in the postseason with Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers going to take on Dak Prescott and the Cowboys at Jerry's World in Dallas. Matt, my first time at this stadium, but I think it's a palace that will be uh, you know, fitting of the uh, stakes and, and the size and the grandeur of the rivalry that we have in front of us. Yeah, I went to a game there. Uh, I think it was the 2014 opener, and it wasn't quite so far levels, but uh, there were a lot of 49ers fans there. I know some of our listeners probably were there that day. Um, you know, different, uh, different time. You know, the 49ers were at their height uh, at that point. They were coming off a NFC championship. The, the Cowboys weren't all that good. So I don't know if there's going to be that, that level of, of uh, infiltration, if you will. Uh, but, uh, boy, we saw th- this past week that the, the 49ers sure can travel. Their fans sure can. And that would be, that would be a, nice, uh, uh, a, a nice lift for them, I think, if they had anywhere close to that percentage. And you're absolutely right, David. I mean, th- this rivalry goes back. 50 years. Uh, I remember uh, when Mike Nolan was a coach, uh, he talked about it because he kind of grew up watching his dad, who was on that Cowboy staff in the 60s. He was was a coach when Dan Reeves was was a player there. And then he moved uh, the family to San Francisco, got the head coaching job of the 49ers. And Dick Nolan and the 49ers just could not beat Roger Staubach and uh, and the Cowboys and it and it cost Dick Nolan his job and I remember Mike Nolan this this was a a big uh, sort of uh, boogeyman that uh, that he dealt with all of his life uh, so um, many many generations of elation and frustration and and Dennis you can talk about it better than anyone just what does this rivalry mean to San Francisco to that fan base. To the former players. Well, listen, you know, I, I came in the in the 90s, and uh, I came from L.A., so I didn't follow the 49ers when Dwight Clark was making the catch, and, you know, they finally got over the hump and all the battles with Dallas. But when I got here, I learned real fast about how important it was to beat up on the Dallas Cowboys any chance you got. And then I was I was thrown in the middle of it. You know, the, the Dallas Cowboys got the, they call them the triplets. They had Troy Aikman, uh, they had Michael Irving, and Emmett, Emmett Smith. And we we battled these guys, I think it was three NFC Championship games. 
And we finally got over the hump in 94. But I remember the year, the previous year, I guess it was 93, when they beat us uh, at Candlestick and being in a locker room and having the monitors on and seeing uh, head coach saying that, how about them Cowboys? I will never forget that. That hair and that white Dallas Cowboy. Yeah, that, 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 um, that white Cowboys uh, jacket on saying, how about them Cowboys? How about them boy? Whatever they, whatever he said, I just remember that. And then the following year, getting back after them and, and, and just kicking their butts and then going on and winning the Super Bowl against, uh, against San Diego. But, I mean, I, I learned real fast. And, you know, Dwight Clark at the time was in the front office and he always let us know, you know, if you have a chance to beat up on the Cowboys, beat up on the Cowboys because he went through it trying to trying to finally get over that hump of beating the Cowboys. So I, I dislike the Cowboys still to this day, only because my hand was in the dirt battling battling the Cowboys and we couldn't beat them for, you know, three NFC championship games and we finally beat them. So this is important. I don't know how it's how you know, these these young kids don't know what the battles are about or what the you know, what the rivalry's about. But um, for me, it means <laughs> it's a lot to me. I'm excited for this football game. And and, and I, I hope the 49, 49ers can come out, out physical this team and get after them because this is a deep rivalry. And it's it's part of the 49er history, basically. Yeah, I mean, th- there's an argument to be made that the Cowboys are the 49ers' biggest historical rival. The problem is that it's been dormant for so long. So, you know, a lot of the kids don't know about it. Kyle Shanahan even brought that point up this week because Kyle was a ball boy, right, on those 49ers teams in the early 90s. And Dennis, I just saw a picture this week circulating around Twitter. Kyle was giving you water or something. It was, it was a ball boy Kyle and Dennis Brown. Uh, <laughs> have you seen this picture? No, but I, I remember where Kyle was, I think he was either equipment assistant or manager or he was just a ball boy. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we used to mess with Kyle a lot because, you know, because his dad was the offensive coordinator. So we used to always kind of kid around with Kyle. And I always forget that, you know, he's now the head coach, but there was a time when he was just this kid running around Rockland that we would make, you know, make, you know, make the Gatorade or go get me a thigh pad or, you know, but now he's a head coach. So I haven't seen that picture. I would love to see it. But uh, yeah, Kyle, you know, Kyle's come a long way. And, you know, we talk about, you know, his, his football knowledge and, you know, he's been around football because of his father for probably most of his life. And he started off young, you know, just being at training camps and you, you kind of absorb a lot of football just being around guys. And the most important thing is you start learning kind of how to deal with guys because you see all the different personalities. So, you know, I always I, I always have to remind myself when I see Kyle and I meet Kyle that I used to, you know, give him a lot of shite when he was a kid but because he, he was just a little ball boy running around. Now he's a head coach in the National Football League. He said that. I mean, he said that uh, being a kid with the Broncos and, and the 49ers and the Raiders, that's being around guys like you, Dennis, and kind of, learning you know the the ins and outs of the locker room and the vibe and the personalities that's given him the perspective that he's used as a head coach i mean all all of that stuff as frivolous as it it may have seemed back then um he he says is is really valuable uh as far as the coach that he's become you know you said he's been in a locker room his whole you know his whole adulthood and childhood so he's definitely taken away, and I, I can understand why guys kind of relate to him because he's just not this, you know, he's not a suit. He's not a head coach. I mean, he's been in there. I mean, he's heard to talk. Uh, he's been in the training room. He's seen guys. He's seen guys on the sidelines. He's heard the conversations. So, you know, he, he knows a lot. I mean, he knows a lot about the game of football, and I think it, it helps him when it comes to dealing with guys, understanding guys. And then he's learned a lot from his father. I'm sure at home he's, you know, he's learned about defenses. He's learned about offensive schemes. He's learned how to deal with quarterbacks. So, I mean, you know, it, it makes sense why, you know, he's such a good coach uh, because he spent his whole life in that atmosphere. All right, Dennis, so the guy that you're talking about as the coach of the 49ers right now, if you have your phone near you, I just texted you the picture. And I just oh, texted nice. Matt the picture too. Nice. So I want to see if you remember this. Because it's Kyle Shanahan helping fix your pads. And we're going to have to tweet this out. Nice. With the, the podcast. Wait, which one is Dennis? <laughs> <laughs> 
Holy hugeness. Holy yeah, Dennis, you're man. massive. Woo. So 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 the, I'm looking at this picture now. Now it, it's hard to believe that that cat in the picture there was a defensive lineman. If you think about the defensive lineman now. So I'm I'm 6'5. I was probably 325 in that picture. But this was back in the day, guys, where you had to be a two-gapper and you had to play the run. That was what I was drafted to do is to be a run stopper. And probably the reason why he's fixing my pads is because I couldn't get my arms up there because <laughs> the, you know, the, sh- the shirt is skin tight and then you can't get underneath there and get it. But, you know, look at little Kyle Shanahan. I mean, you know, he is he is pretty much, you know, up under my shoulder pads. And, you know, a lot of guys, you know, don't, you know, a lot of coaches don't have that where you, you know, you got sweat and blood from players on the football field and, and you learn from that. And you know that's a fan. I got I got to tweet that out. It's a fantastic picture. Yeah, it was awesome. I and somebody tweeted on February first, twenty twenty. So right before the Super Bowl, right? Yeah, that was before COVID and all the the lockdowns and the 49ers played the Chiefs, and it just popped on my Twitter feed the other day. And I thought that I had already sent it to you, and then I realized when you said you hadn't seen it that I hadn't. So uh, I'm glad I did now. But yeah. it really struck me. Um, and you talk about run stoppers. I mean, we could we could kind of pivot that into the current 49ers team. That's been the key for this 49ers team, right? In 20 and Nick Bosa brought it up today. He said that I, I don't know what the numbers say, but this feels like we're stopping the run a lot more effectively than even 2019. And I'll tell you what, the numbers do agree with what Nick Bosa said. The 49ers have had the number one run defense since their bye week, which was in week six. And that, to me, has been huge in the defensive turnaround. Eric Armstead has moved inside to play on the interior full-time ever since the Javon Kinlaw injury. And him and DJ Jones, you talk about run stoppers, those guys are getting it done. And, hey, that's still important today because what that has done is it's unlocked the 49ers' ability to pass rush because they're getting in favorable down and distance to pin their ears back. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's one of the, the the themes that people are talking about. Where, where does this team stack up with the, the 2019 team that, that was in the playoffs? And, uh, you know, we, we've talked about this a lot. It's not as talented a defensive line group as that 2019 group. But the... One thing it has going for them is that it's 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 a line that's been getting better and better. I think the momentum is going in the right direction now. Uh, whereas remember, twenty nineteen, you know, D Ford got hurt late. Uh, he really wasn't uh, the, his same the, the same player late in the season. Certainly not in the playoffs. Certainly not in the Super Bowl that he was early on. I felt like that line just wasn't quite as dominant. Um, you know, uh, towards the end there, certainly uh, against the Chiefs, as it had been at times during the year. This one, Dennis, I feel like it, it's getting better and better each week, and, and it's not all Bosa anymore. Um, you're, they're getting contributions from everybody. Uh, Eric Armstead moved inside, I think it was week eight in Chicago. That's also the week that Nick Bosa started playing on the left side more. Now he jumps around to both sides. Uh, Samson Ebucom's gotten better. Arden Key has has moved inside. There there was an evolution that really started happening midseason, and uh, I think that it's starting to pay off. and And I think that's what they need to, uh, or uh, that's one of the the reasons for optimism as the playoff begins is that that unit, such an important unit for the 49ers has uh, has improved week to week, and, it, and it's peaking right now. Yeah, and I, I think the biggest thing is uh, DJ Jones has kind of come into his own. I mean, he's you know he's learning how to be that 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 fire plug in the middle of that defensive line, uh, being that guy that you can't move off the line of scrimmage, uh, being that guy that can get you some pass rush on second down on on you know some of these quick passes, getting the quarterback's face, um, and then get down the line of scrimmage. Uh, you know, you watch him a lot of times. He's starting to read blocks a lot quicker. He's able to see a reach block and be able to beat a reach block, uh, get some penetration, get in the backfield, uh, and make plays in the backfield. Penetration, that first quick step. Eric Armstead, I mean, he he's played inside, uh, you know, quite a bit. But now he's kind of, he's that three technique guy. And he's such a long guy. He can get that penetration in the backfield and make plays. He runs, the, he reads the screen incredibly well. 
Uh, he's a smart player. And then these other guys. I mean, that's key. These other guys that we've been trying to figure out. Who's going to be that other guy? Who's going to be the the guy that can can fit into a uh, a D Ford shoes? And 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 we figured out that you know D Ford is unique, and you're not going to find anybody that's going to have that type of get off and that type of quick move to the quarterback. But you need someone who can get some con- consistent pressure. And a lot of these guys have kind of showed up. Jordan Willis has showed up. Arden Key, he's been he's he's been doing a great job. He plays inside too. Uh, so, you know, Ebukon, he's a guy that's that's starting to show up. So you're starting to get other guys other than name Nick Bosa to get after the offense and the and the passer. So but I think Eric Armstead on the inside and I think um DJ Jones playing to the level where he's playing now has really improved. And you, and again, I, I mean I believe you have to stop the run. I mean, this week is gonna be important. Uh, you know, Ezekiel Elliott is not the court not the running back he used to be. But he's still a pretty dang good uh, running back, so you have to shut him down, uh, and uh, then then you have to put put the uh, the game on uh, Dak Prescott's shoulders. And you know he can win football games for you, but you can get after him too. He can get outside the pocket. You got to corral him, and you got to get some hits on him. You got to get him on the ground, get him off his mark. So again, I say it every week: the game is won or lost in the line of scrimmage, uh, and this team has to start off fast. You can't spot this team seventeen points. It's going to be tough to come back. Because this is an explosive offense the Cowboys have. They got great guys on the perimeter. So you got to get after them fast. Uh, you got to make it a short field for the offense. Uh, and the offense has to have a lot of ball possession. You got to keep the ball out of Dak Prescott's hands. So the challenge is up, but it's the playoffs. And it's any given Sunday. And this is going to be the Sunday. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And the quarterback has to show up. And I'm talking about both Jimmy Garoppolo and Dak Prescott. Because, listen, the, the Dallas 49ers rivalry, I know that quarterback is the, the most scrutinized position around the league, you know, no matter what game it is. But for some reason, in 49ers-Cowboys, there's been an extra big magnifying glass on the quarterback position. I mean, you go back all the way to the 70s when the 49ers had John Brody and the Cowboys had Staubach and Craig Morton, and that was really the original famous quarterback controversy, right? They were Tom Landry was rotating both of the, those guys by play at one point in the late 60s and early 70s. And then the, the that was finally resolved by that game in which Craig Morton started at Candlestick Park. It's the NFC Divisional Playoffs. Cowboys fell way behind. He replaced Morton with Roger Staubach, and Roger Staubach led two touchdown drives in the final 90 seconds, and the Cowboys won 30-28. to From that point forward, Staubach was Tom Landry's guy, and they traded Craig Morton to Denver, and that was that. You fast forward to the 80s, obviously Montana started his legend against the Cowboys with the catch against Dwight Clark. But it was 11 years after that that Montana played his final game, or he didn't play. He appeared in his final game in a 49ers uniform when the whole controversy with him and Steve Young was coming to an end, right? And that was Steve Young's loss. Dennis was there at Candlestick. He talked about Jimmy Johnson yelling, how about them Cowboys in the locker room? That was in January of 1993. So you have these two epic like quarterback controversies, both with the 49ers and Cowboys playoff game set as a, a dramatic backdrop. And I mean, you have Elvis Gerback in 1995 beating Dallas. You have Jeff Garcia throwing to Terrell Owens who ran out onto the star in 2000. You have Colin Kaepernick in 2014, the game that Matt talked about that he was at outplaying Tony Romo. Well, this is a new chapter. This is going to be Jimmy Garoppolo on one side and Dak Prescott on the other. And Matt, the, the drama is set to be at, 
really high levels again. We don't know which game is going to be Jimmy Garoppolo's final as a 49ers quarterback because there's a really good chance they trade him this offseason. So these are all elimination games, and it just so happens that Dallas is the opponent. I mean, this is very congruent with 49ers history. And on the other side, Dak Prescott's a $160 million man. He signed a huge contract last March. But Dak Prescott's also 1-2 and in playoff games. And there's a really high standard in Dallas, just like there is in San Francisco. And I have to mention that Dak Prescott had a calf strain earlier this year, and he hasn't been nearly as good after the calf strain as he was before it. So the pressure on both sides, on both of these quarterbacks, has really ratcheted up to the point where I just wrote an entire piece kind of comparing it to the pressure that quarterbacks have passed in 49ers and Cowboys uniforms have faced entering this rivalry game. And I think we're about to see another epic chapter in that history. Yeah, I mean, uh, I was just talking about the differences with, with 2019. Another sort of plus for the 49ers, you know, uh, with this group is that, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo has taken some lumps. I mean, he's got more experience. He's He's been in the playoffs now. Um, he certainly watched a lot of playoff teams uh, in, in New England and then during that 2019 run with the 49ers. But, uh, you know, he he's still uh, paying the price for coming up short against Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City in the Super Bowl. He wants to avenge that. Uh, so, uh, you know, he, he's got pressure on him, but I, I think Dak Prescott has quite a bit of pressure as well. Um, and um, he'll be he'll be fun to watch. I mean, 49ers fans uh, uh, should know that, uh, you know, when I was uh, asking around about um, Trey Lance this this offseason after, you know, the, the 49ers were looking at him and then they drafted him. Dak Prescott was one of the, the comps, the comparisons I, I kept hearing. Um, I heard uh, Josh Allen quite a bit and I heard Dak Prescott quite a bit. So if you're kind of looking at, you know, what, uh, what Lance could become, the type of uh, uh, quarterback, a guy who usually stays in the pocket but can also make some big plays out of the pocket. Um, can can take broken plays and 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 turn them into magic. Uh, that's uh, that's what uh, the 49ers envision for Lance and, and and Prescott can do that. Now you know the, the 49ers issue is that they've had trouble with that very type of quarterback. You know whether it's Carson Wentz or Jalen Hurts in in week two. Uh, it's it's a long list of uh, mobile big arm quarterbacks who have done damage against this this defense. So that'll be one of the, the subplots, whether they can keep uh, Dak Prescott in the pocket uh, and, and whether they can keep him from, from damaging uh, them with his legs. You have to have some sticky coverage. I, I don't know what the game plan is for the secondary, but you know, Dak Prescott's one of those guys, you know, he's, he, he's a, he's a veteran quarterback. He's got a big arm uh, and he, he can kind of um, make time, create plays with his legs as he looks downfield, he's one of those guys that he, he's always, you know, he's saving the play with his legs. He's looking downfield to make make plays down the field. And he's got he's got a couple of receivers. I think he's he's got three receivers that can really have some explosive plays, some really good receivers. So that secondary is gonna have to be fundamentally sound. You gotta have sticky coverage. You can't get lost in the secondary because these receivers will definitely uh, make you look bad. And, you know, the one thing the 49ers have, I think these guys, you know, you talk about the pressure of this football game. The only pressure they really got to worry about is the fact that it is a playoff game. And if they don't win the game, you know, your season's over. That's the only pressure they got to worry about. When I was playing after the second season losing to these guys, uh, there was nothing but pressure in the house. Because we knew that we were going to play the Cowboys again uh, for an NFC Championship game in 94. And the pressure was gone, was on. Now, we had to finally beat Dallas, and I think it was the same way when with the catch. I mean, you had to find a way to beat Dallas. So these guys are too young to remember that. There's probably no pressure within the organization to win because it's Dallas, only the playoff game. So that's to their advantage. But Dak Press, get back to Dak. Dak is a, is a quarterback that you got to contain somehow. And it's going to be interesting to see what D'Amico Ryans comes up with. I mean, how do you how do you protect your 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 um your secondary? We saw what Cooper Cup did. La- I mean, last week you couldn't cover him. You just couldn't cover him. So he's so Dak's got three three receivers just like that are that are very t- 
tough to cover uh, on the perimeter. So defense is going to be big, but that pass rush has got to get home to help that secondary out. So over the last seven or eight games, I think the last eight games, yeah, I'm looking at it right now, Dak Prescott has been sacked more than three times, four times. So uh, there has been two games where he's been sacked three times and one game where he was sacked five times, another game four times. Three, three, five, and four. Not necessarily in that order, but the sacks have come in bigger bunches as of late. It's not a bad Dallas offensive line. I mean, this is a franchise that consistently puts out imposing fronts that are able to protect the quarterback relatively well. But uh, I don't know if the line is as good as LA's, which by most metrics was ranked number one in pass blocking in the NFL. And the 49ers hit Matthew Stafford 13 times and they sacked him five times. And, you know, I look at the combination of Dallas's offensive line maybe being a little bit worse than the Rams and the fact that Dak Prescott has been taking more sacks over the second half of the season. And, you know, I put two and two together, and it seems to me that the 49ers should be able to to generate some pressure in this game given the way that they've been playing. They've been coming in waves, not just via Nick Bosa, right? Arden Key's been doing a lot. Ebby Khan's been doing a lot. Jordan Willis and D'Amico Ryans has been dialing up some, some good blitzes. So it's interesting to me because... You look at the Cowboys, and they were, you know, a prolific offense in weeks one through six. Then you saw the injury, the calf strain to Dak Prescott. He missed a game, and they also had their bye week sandwiched around that one game that he missed. Ever since he's come back, he's been getting sacked more. He hasn't been nearly as efficient. He's generally still avoided interceptions. That's one thing that Dak Prescott's been good at his entire career. He doesn't throw a lot of picks. But this, by far, has been the biggest slump of his career. Now, he came out against the Eagles in Week 18 and threw five touchdown passes and was really efficient, but that was a Philly team that had already packed it in because there was, you know, for them, they felt there was nothing to play for in that Week 18 game since they were already in the postseason. So, Matt, the question is, which Prescott do the 49ers see? Do they see the Weeks 1 through 6 guy or do they see the guy that played from Weeks 8 to 17 for him, right? Because if it's the Weeks 1 through 6 guy, he was was just so prolific early on with the deep ball. And we know the 49ers have been sketchy against the deep ball, although they might be turning a corner because the two deepest passes that Matthew Stafford attempted last week were intercepted by Emmanuel Mosley and Ambry Thomas. But I do think it's still going to come down to that pass rush, making sure that it's harassing Dak Prescott enough so that he can't deliver a deep ball with, you know, with enough time to set up and throw really accurately. Well, despite his checkered season, I think Prescott is uh, probably the front runner to win the uh, the comeback player of the year award, which of course always goes to to quarterbacks if it, if it comes down to somebody. Even though Bosa has had a better season as a defensive end than he or Joe Burrow have had at uh, at QB, it's probably going to go to a QB, and of those two QBs, it'll probably be Prescott. But you're absolutely right, and Dennis is right too about the Cowboys having some real firepower at wide receiver. The good part is that, I mean, and we've talked about this, Ambry Thomas gets a little bit better each week. Uh, he's sort of like the defensive line I was describing earlier. I mean, it was uh, a month ago, it was bad, but each game has gotten better and uh, we're seeing him start to, to make plays on the ball. And that's going to be key with this uh, receiving core, which is big and fast and, and physical. Remember when the, the 49ers were looking at receivers last year in the draft, I mean, the, the two guys that they circled were Brandon Ayuk and CeeDee Lamb. And uh, Kyle Shanahan loves physical receivers, uh, and, and you can see that from his own group this year. But C.D. Lamb would have would have fit in perfectly on the 49ers. And uh, a, a lot of people who are not fans of Javon Kinlaw probably think that that should have been the pick there. Uh, but um, you know he's going to be good. He goes over the middle. Uh, he's willing to get hit over the middle. That's going to be, I think, a key matchup. Can those two really good safeties of the 49ers, Jimmy Ward and Jaquaski Tart, kind of take away that middle and uh, and and sort of minimize those uh, those mid to, to deep level plays that are the the Cowboys' bread and butter? And you know, when I watch the Cowboys play, I'm 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 more impressed with Amari Cooper. I mean, you know, he he just looks like. That guy, I mean, if the ball's anywhere close to him, it, it just feels like he's going to come down with it. You know, and he looks like he's a good route runner and looks like he's kind of always open. And I think Dak Pres- Prescott has a lot of trust in him. So I think that's going to be a guy, you know, I don't know if he lines up in the slot ever or if, he, if, he's, if he's strictly on the perimeter, on the numbers. But he's a guy that I think you got to shut down. 
I mean, you have to figure out a way to 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 kind of move coverage to him because he's a guy that you know he can beat you he can beat you shallow he can beat you deep but he always seems like he's open and Dak Prescott just puts the ball out there and somehow he comes down with it so you know I'm sure D'Amico's got a game plan for for him and C.D. Lamb is just that he's that young kid I mean he's he's that young kid doesn't mind catching ball in the middle he catches it everywhere uh, and he's really physical and he's a fast kid too so. You know, this secondary is going to be up for the challenge. Uh, but I think the bigger challenge is going to be for this defensive front to ease some of that stress on that secondary by getting after the quarterback. Well, let's look at the other side of the ball because, as we know, the best defense can be a good offense for the 49ers, especially when they start hogging it. And I know for a fact that Dallas is not comfortable with this matchup. You look at the Cowboys defensively, and they've been good this year, but a lot of their efficiency has been fueled by turnovers, namely interceptions. So the pass defense has been excellent. The pass rush coming off the edges is strong with Micah Parsons, rookie with 14 sacks. Demarcus Lawrence has been doing it for a long time. And Randy Gregory has really emerged this year. So they have three really plus edge rushers. And those guys have really set it up for Trevon Diggs on the back end to have a league-leading 11 interceptions. He's a, he's a ball hawk, but it's also a boom or bust defense for Dallas. And one of the areas where they've had busts is against the run. This is a middling run defense, and, you know, for example, Micah Parsons is a great embodiment of what's going on in Dallas. He's got the 14 sacks. He could play anywhere on the field. He can cover. He can get after the quarterback. But the one area where he hasn't been too great has been in run defense. You can run at number 11. You could probably also run at Randy Gregory, who's long. I mean, he, he's he's got a great pass rusher's frame on the edge. He's just so athletic and long. But running right at him has tended to has tend to work for some teams that have played the Cowboys. And I'm not sure that the Cowboys have faced a team that's as adaptable as the 49ers yet. Just to give a great example of how adaptable the 49ers are, we saw Jimmy Garoppolo throw 32 times against the Rams in the same game that the 49ers also ran the ball 10 straight times. You don't see those two things happen in the same game very often and the 49ers help they might be the only team in the NFL that can execute that duality over the course of a single game so I think when you look at this Dallas defense Matt you see a opportunistic unit an explosive unit a unit that can give you a ton of trouble when they're roaring around the edge with those edge rushers and when they're ball hawking in the secondary but you also see one that may be vulnerable to the run game and also may be vulnerable to some big plays so if the 49ers can harness the positives and keep the negatives away, you know, control the ball, stay away from giveaways, I think this is a game that they could potentially control tempo in. The problem is that the margin for error is really, really thin because the Cowboys do lead the NFL in takeaways. Yeah, Micah Parsons is is interesting. He's the guy this week when it was uh, brought up to him that the 49ers like to play bully ball. He, he got really defensive. <laughs> he sort of bristled at that. Uh, and said, uh, you know, where he comes from, which is Harrisonburg, uh, Pennsylvania, uh, the bullies get bullied. So they're not going to be intimidated by the 49ers. And he, he was also asked about Debo Samuel and how Samuel likes to, to line up as a, as a running back. And, and here was uh, Parsons' quote. I think it came on, on Thursday. He said, uh, you got to treat him like a running back. This is, this is him talking about Samuel. And he's got to get hit like a running back. Got to get hit like everybody else. Obviously, he's very explosive, very fast, very strong runner. But at the end of the day, he's got to come into the grind just like everybody else. So, I mean, these guys are kind of, uh, it's, it's not quite the uh, the body bag uh, bulletin board material that the Rams were using. But you could tell that the, the Cowboys are getting themselves up by the fact that the 49ers do like to pound it. They do like to have uh, Debo Samuel running on the outside, running on the inside. And I think you're right. Uh, Mike McDaniel is the offensive coordinator. He's the architect of this run game. He does a great job of, A, figuring out the defensive weakness, and then uh, coming up with a game plan, something creative each week that, uh, plays off the 49ers system, of course, but um, plays to or tries to exploit something in the defense. And that's that's what the 49ers are going to do. I mean, I don't know how they're going to do it, but they are going to try to play that bully ball style. 
Uh, and, um, you know, they've got, uh, they've got the horses to do it. Um, Elijah Mitchell's one, Debo Samuel's another. Uh, I'd like to see Jeff Wilson used a little bit more than he was. And, and I think the reason he wasn't against the Rams is because the 49ers simply fell behind uh, early. And, and so it was Jermichael Hasty who got most of those uh, kind of third running back snaps. But Wilson would seem to be, Wilson's a guy from Texas. He'd love to be in this game. Uh, Wilson, Debo Samuel, Elijah Mitchell, <laughs> that's a lot of thump that uh, the 49ers can bring at Micah Parsons in that defense. Can you guys give us an update on Trent Williams? What's going on with him? He was back out of practice, and he didn't even have a brace on his elbow. He used tape instead because he wanted more range of motion, and he said that he felt good afterwards. So all indications are that Trent Williams will play on Sunday, which is, I I think, massive. I I think, you know— I think it moves the 49ers from an underdog to making this game a toss-up in in my book. I know that according to the spread, they're three-point underdogs still. But when I look at this and I look at the game against the Rams last week, uh, I think the 49ers got away with one with with Colton McKivitt starting a left tackle. I think if you play that game against the Rams 10 times, I'm not sure that the 49ers win it more than more than five times. I think that they, they dodged a bullet. McKivitt's gave up four damaging pressures. Uh, Garoppolo had to suck it up and even though you know at least one of those pressures turned into an interception he got it done at the end of the game I just don't think you could roll McKibbitts out again especially against a team as edge rushers as good as Dallas and expect uh, a a victory and I think that having Trent Williams in there makes it a whole lot more sustainable because you could slide protection over now to help out Tom Compton against Micah Parsons and I mean, it's just such a positive domino effect. So to, that's a long answer, I know, Dennis. But uh, long story short, he was back at practice, and I think it's going to be a good thing for the 49ers. That's a great answer, and, and it's good to hear that he's going to be there because I, I think you're exactly right. This offense is a different offense with him in there. Uh, and you know, you talk about uh, uh, you know how how do you how do you get after these are athletic guys. Parsons is an athletic guy. He wants to run things down from behind. I think the key to him is run straight at him. Come straight at him. The kid is only, what, 245 pounds. Get after him, run straight at him, and just run him over. Uh, and that's how you that's how you deal with a guy like that because he's he's an athletic guy. He's a you know, he's a he's basically a strong safety trying to put his hand in the dirt. Uh, you got to get after a guy like that. But if you try to run in these outside zone reads, he's gonna run you down, he's gonna make big plays in the backfield. If you can't get him blocked, if you can't get a chip on him, he's going to pass rush. He's going to hit your quarterback. Uh, and then you got a guy, Diggs, in the secondary that's, I think he's leading NFL in, in interception. So, you know, you got to be careful there. But this is a kid, I think, you know, he's a young kid. He's talking a lot ahead. But if you run directly at him and knock his butt off the ball a few times, he'll change his mind. So having Trent Williams back in the football game. Uh, if he's going to play this week, I think it takes his 49ers team to the next level. He's a strong safety trying to put his hand in the dirt. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Dennis Brown Basically is providing is. The, the bulletin board material this week for the Cowboys. <laughs> 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 Dennis, you hate those guys. I really don't like them very much. I, I don't. I don't. The Rams <laughs> use the, the body bag stuff from Kittle's bulletin board material. They, I mean, bulletin board material is almost always taken so far out of context. Oh, you have to. Right? Uh, yeah. You, yeah. That, that's <laughs> yeah, why it's called bulletin even... board. That's why it's called bulletin board. And you know what? That is a true thing. I mean, I don't know if they still have it, but we used to have a bulletin board. We used to have a bulletin board in the locker room as you walked into the team, to your individual meeting rooms. And there was all kinds of stuff on there. And I remember the Super Bowl in 94. Um, uh, Neil, I, I forget the defensive end uh, for San Diego, but he said in the newspaper that Steve Wallace was going to lose the football game for the 49ers because he was going to sack Steve Young three times. Wow. He put that in the paper, and that was on the bulletin board. And in that game, I think it was Leslie O'Neill was his name, the defensive end. And he said in the paper that Steve Wallace is going to lose his football game for the 49ers. Was that, that the was only on the- guy in the world who thought the Chargers would win that game? <laughs> well, he was, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it might have been. I mean, because like, speaking of 49ers Dallas, Pat Summerall said it the best, right? And that was two weeks before that Super Bowl. Uh, Pat Summerall said in 
two weeks we play the Super Bowl and a week we play the Pro Bowl, but today we play both. And I think that 99% of people, maybe maybe not the Chargers roster, maybe not this defensive end that you talk about, but almost everybody thought that once the 49ers beat the Cowboys, Super Bowl 29 would be a coronation, which it was for you guys. But uh, it, it's it's hilarious for me to hear that the Chargers – we're, we're giving you guys bulletin board material, uh, even though you're two touchdown favorites in that game. I mean, if, if you're in a Super Bowl, you're going to think you're going to win it. I mean, you got to have that attitude at least. But, yeah. you know, Les, that, that Leslie O'Neill, he, he didn't have he didn't even have a pressure in that football game, I remember, uh, because that bulletin board, Steve Wallace would walk by it every day going into the meeting rooms. Uh, and they took it on the road, too. Bulletin boards went on the road, and it was on the wall in the hotel. So you could see what the, what the other team kind of thought about you. You're right. You, these days, you have to kind of twist it around and manipulate it in order in order to be uh, motivated because these teams go out of their way to not say anything even mildly controversial, which which is terrible for us writers because it's just uh, I I call them praise bombs. They they just drop praise bombs on each other and, and say how great and wonderful the other coaching staff, the other players are. It's almost like they're trying to get them kind of uh, fat and content for these games, but um, very, very rarely these days, this day and age, do you see anything even remotely critical, uh, which is why that Mika Parsons stuff uh, stands out just a little bit. Uh, and even that is 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 mild compared to what it was like uh, a quarter century ago. But, um, you know, it, it just makes it a little bit more interesting to, to hear kind of some of that stuff in the build up to these games. Talking head is part of football, right? I mean, you, you you talk it during the pregame. I don't know if they still do it, but you talk it during the pregame. You talk it at the coin toss. You talk it at kickoff. And when you're at the line of scrimmage, you're talking. I mean, that's part of football. And, you know, it, it, it's always fun, you know, when you, when you get into these deep rivalries, uh, you know, like the Cowboys. You know, back in the day, you know, this week up to the Cowboys, it was always a lot of that bill, billboard stuff. You know, we, we used to talk about the offensive line, that they, you know, they were fat and slow. And they would talk about our defensive line and saying that we couldn't, without Tim Harris or Charles Haley, we couldn't do anything. So, you know, it, 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 it it's all a part of the football. And you're right. Now it's, I like that word though, praise bombs. I'm going I'm to use that a little more often, but you know, that's what it is now. I mean, it's a different football game, but when the game starts, it's all the same. You know, there's a lot of talking going on and, and you don't want to get you want to get in somebody's head and you want to get somebody fired up. But the best way to do it is just to hit somebody in the mouth, knock them off the football. Uh, and, and that's how you set the tone for a football game. And that's what the 49ers are going to need to do. I mean, you can't like I said, you can't give this team 17 points. You can't do it. They're too good of a football team. You have to shut down that run. You know, Zeke uh, and, and and Pollard, you got to set both of those guys down. And then you got to hit the quarterback. That's the, I mean, that's that's football one-on-one. You got to hit the football. You got to hit the, the guy who's got the football. You got to hit the quarterback. And, you know, Dallas fans are pretty passionate. I don't know if you're going to see a lot of red in the stadium because their fans love them just as much as the 49ers fans uh, love the Niners. So I don't think you'll see a lot of red. I think it's going to be loud in that stadium. It's going to be hostile. Uh, and this team, you know, they're, they've been trying to get back to the Super Bowl for what? Over a decade now? And they think this is their year. So it's going to be a loud, it's going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be a loud stadium. It's going to be hard to hear. Uh, but you have to focus on what you got to do and, and you got to play good, clean football. Well, Matthew Stafford's wife came on a podcast the other day and was begging Rams fans to not sell tickets to Cardinals fans after what happened last Sunday at SoFi Stadium with the 49ers fans just taking the whole place over. Uh, you know, I, I theorized today on Twitter that that might have been the loudest the 49ers crowd has ever been because 49ers fans have never, up until Sunday, had the benefit of essentially controlling a whole stadium in numbers uh, when there's been a roof above their heads, right? Every 49ers home game prior to... Uh, I mean, I put home in, in quotation marks, but every single 49ers home game prior to this one against the Rams on Sunday had been played at either Candlestick, Keysar, or Levi Stadium. Those are all open-air stadiums, right? And then you had what? Matt, I think you estimated 80% 49ers fans. Even if it was just 70, uh, it was high. You had mostly 49ers fans. 
at a game where there was a roof, which means that it's they got the Seattle advantage, right? Where there's uh, there, there's an overhang in Seattle and the sound kind of echoes down and, and reverberates off of the roof and it makes it louder. So when Ambry Thomas notched the game ceiling interception, the press box glass shook and people in the stadium <laughs> say that they felt the stadium shake. And I, you know, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there's been a 49ers game in their history where the crowd has been louder because they've never had the benefit of a crowd plus the ceiling, right? Plus the reverberation. Now, Dallas, they could have the same benefit if they get enough people in there. And I will say, Dennis, that in 2014, the season opener, there were a lot of 49ers fans. It wasn't as many as uh, the game against the Rams that they got Matthew Stafford's wife to complain, but it was still a lot. And there are, what, like 100,000 seats in this stadium, AT&T Stadium in Arlington. So... Maybe at the maybe the 49ers can at the very least expect and hope for enough fans to be in there to where this turns out to be like the Super Bowl, right? Where both teams have to run the silent count. Because Stafford's wife was really upset that Stafford had to run a silent count and Jimmy Garoppolo didn't have to on <laughs> Sunday. That was pretty funny. The other the other thing about SoFi is that it's it's a giant pit. It's it's so close to LAX that they couldn't build over a certain height. So in order to do the design that they wanted. They had to dig deep, deep, deep in. So, uh, you know, that sounds not that sounds going into a hole, uh, is my point. So that probably amplifies it as well. Now, Dennis can talk to about the the loudest games that he's played in that 2011 game at Candlestick Park, the one against the Saints, uh, sort of the epic one that ended with the the Vernon Davis touchdown. That was a long, long time that the 49ers had gone, uh, had been absent from the playoffs. And the players and people who were on the sidelines that day say that that was the loudest they've ever heard it. Uh, there may be some recency bias in that, and it may have gotten a lot louder in the, in the 90s, but uh, uh, the stick could get loud uh, certainly during the playoffs. Yeah, and you know what I remember about Candlestick is it, it felt like a really loud stadium to me. But, you know, again, I never thought about it being in a opportunity to be in a dome. I remember going to the King Dome my rookie season and thinking, man, you know, my ears were ringing. But, you know, that was a ceiling. And, you know, but Candlestick got super loud. I thought it was a really loud stadium. I can't think of, you know, when, when you're on the field and the play's going on, you really can't hear the crowd, unless you you know something happens, a touchdown or something, but you know Candlestick could get 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 loud, you know, and you know a lot of people were cold in Candlestick, so they're they're you know more worried about kind of staying warm, but um, you know being bundled up. But Candlestick, it felt like it was a loud stadium in the '90s. You know, they had a lot more to cheer about, but it it Candlestick could get loud at times. You know, especially in those night games, it seemed like those night games, those Monday night games could really get loud. But that's interesting, you know, to be, you know, at, at in Dallas, there's, I don't know, there's, there's 100,000 seats in that stadium. I think they downsized it a little bit. I think it was over 90 and I think they opened up like more walking areas. So it might be somewhere in the 80s. But Matt, when they first opened it, didn't they advertise it as something that would seat or at least fit near 100,000. Maybe there aren't 100,000 seats, but I think it's... I mean, it's, Matt, you've been there, and you've, t- you've told me it's impressive. <laughs> well, the other thing about SoFi is that it's it's a giant pit. It's, it's so close to LAX that they couldn't build over a certain height. So in order to do the design that they wanted, they had to dig deep, deep, deep in. So, uh, you know, that sounds not... That sounds going into a hole... Uh, is my point. So that probably amplifies it as well. Now, Dennis can talk to about the the loudest games that he's played in. That 2011 game at Candlestick Park, the one against the Saints, uh, sort of the epic one that ended with the the Vernon Davis touchdown, that was a long, long time that the 49ers had gone, uh, had been absent from the playoffs. And the players and people who were on the sidelines that day say that that was the loudest they've ever heard it. Uh, there may be some recency bias in that, and it may have gotten a lot louder in the, in the 90s, but uh, uh, the stick could get loud 
Uh, certainly, I, I have the, the numbers here. The capacity is officially eighty thousand, but it's expandable to one hundred five thousand. And they sat, I think, in the first game ever there in two thousand nine, Cowboys New York Giants. They sat one hundred five thousand one hundred twenty one people. Uh, the NBA All Star Game in twenty ten had one hundred eight thousand seven hundred thirteen people. So uh, it appears they've taken some seats out, but as far as what Matt is saying, it's still big enough to give you that imposing feel of a hundred plus thousand seat stadium. And that scoreboard is definitely big enough to allow you to, to watch like you're sitting in your living room. Wouldn't it be cool though on Sunday, if you just saw a sea of red, I mean, you know, I mean, as a, as a, as a player coming on the field and you look up in the stands and you see your fans uh, and, and it's an away game and you're across the country. I mean, that, I mean that 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 motivates. You look and you see all your red, or you see your jersey. Nick Bosa see that ninety-seven up there. So I mean, it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to see. But like I said, forty or uh, the Cowboys got some pretty dedicated fans too, and you know, so it's gonna be interesting to see just how many, just see how well uh, the Forty Nine er Empire is gonna travel this week. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating stuff. So anyway, Matt and I are headed out to Dallas very soon. We will uh, connect with you all. Obviously, Dennis is going to be part of the podcast as well after the game on Sunday. Uh, Will this be Jimmy Garoppolo's last ride with the 49ers? Uh, Well, we'll find out. There's still probably a lot unwritten moving forward, especially over the course of this playoff run. This is the tightest point spread out of all the wildcard games, by the way. So get ready for some competitive football from Jerry World in Arlington, Texas. For Matt Barrows and Dennis Brown, the man who played so many big games against the Cowboys himself, this is David Lombardi. We'll talk to you next time after the wildcard game, 49ers in Dallas on Sunday night. Everybody take care. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.